0: Hi, and welcome back. This is Disability Saves the World with Dr. Fadi Shenouda. I am Fadi Shenouda. This podcast brings you insights from leading experts in disability and math studies from around the world. You'll hear about the research and work of disabled scholars, activists, artists, and our allies. You'll also get some insight into their lives, their favorite non-DS activities, hobbies and adventures. Most importantly, you'll hear how they think disability can save the world. My name again is Fadi Shenouda, I use he, him pronouns. I have a PhD in public health sciences. I'm currently a Shirk postdoc in London. I identify as a fat disabled cis man of color. If you don't know me, hopefully you'll get to know me a little bit more over the course of the next few episodes. You can also check out my work on my website, fadyshinuda.com. But now to get to today's guest, I'm joined by Andrew Gerzab, Andrew, who uses he, him pronouns as a disability awareness consultant and a fellow podcaster. He is the host and creative mind behind one of the most popular disability podcasts out there, Disability After Dark, now in its third year The pod has amassed over a hundred thousand downloads and has been in the top one hundred sexuality podcasts consistently. I'm delighted to be speaking with Andrew about his work.
1: And every single one that I reached out to said no. And I was like, Well, guess what? I'm queer and disabled. I want to talk to you.
0: His life outside of podcasting.
1: And he saw me like seeing him and he walked over and he goes, Do you know who I am? And I was like,
0: Yeah and intrigued to find out how he thinks disability can save the world. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, it's so wonderful to have a, uh, someone who has been doing this, someone who uh, has some practice in this. You can tell me what I'm doing right. You can tell me what I'm doing wrong. Uh,
1: the fact that you're putting out disability content is the rightest thing you could do, so
0: you're on, you're on the right track. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Um, so I want to just jump right into what I call segment one inside the project, the research, the work, the art. Um, I want you to tell me how you got involved in disability activism. How did you, uh, come to learn about kind of disability studies or, um, you know, different models of disability?
1: Um, well, how I got involved with disability activism was I was bored one day. (laughs) <laughs> and I just said, you know, I, and it really wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't seek out disability like studies or disability activism as the thing I did. I still kind of don't. I just sort of, um, I, I was finished university. I studied law, um, law and disability at Carleton U in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And um, I was done my degrees. And I was like, I don't want to go back for a PhD. I don't want to do more academia. That's not really my thing. I, don't, I want to do something creative. I want to do something fun. And so I started emailing queer and gay magazines saying, have you ever talked to a disabled guy before? And every single one that I reached out to said no. And I was like, well, guess what? I'm queer and disabled. I want to talk to you. Can we have a chat? And so that was kind of my first foray, not into disability activism per se, but putting myself out there as a public figure. Um, and that was back in 2013, and I've just kind of been doing it for the last seven years, kind of, kind of without really a roadmap on how to navigate disability activism, because I think a lot of the time um, disability activism can be very narrow in its scope, and I wanted to Mm. do something much more creative.
0: So why sexuality in particular? Uh, Was it the intersection of being disabled and queer that you felt wasn't represented in media or wasn't represented in the world? um, Well, the,
1: the honest, honest answer is yes, all those things came after, but initially it was I want to get laid and I want all the hot dudes to notice me. And <laughs> the one way one way I can do that is if I take my shirt off on a magazine right. cover, maybe someone will pay attention to me then. And so all of the stuff you're talking about came after, definitely. But initially it was, I want to have sex. I want to be sexual. I want to be objectified like everyone else I'm seeing. And this is one way that I know how to do that.
0: So, what really drew you to the idea is kind of like a bare desire to uh, be wanted, like yeah. everybody else.
1: Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Uh, you'll excuse the word bear here when talking about queer culture, <laughs> but like that slipped in. <laughs> there, there are so
1: there are so many connotations because I joke I jokingly refer to myself as a bear in a chair, um, <laughs> and then there's you know bear, like, like bear naked. And so yeah. yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff we can play with for sure.
0: There's layers to this. (laughs) So many layers. Um, So is there kind of a theoretical grounding? Or not necessarily, it doesn't have to be theoretical, but do you have any sort of kind of analysis to how you approach? Are there things that you say like, no, this is not within my set of principles or set of guidelines that I have. Um, I'm going to reject this idea. And and what are those principles or what are those guidelines for you? I
1: think... I've always kind of operated on the guidelines of I want to use my lived experience to teach people whether they're disabled or non-disabled about how to interact with disabled people. my My mantra when I first first started this, was making disability accessible to everyone and trying really hard to talk to the non-disabled communities about disability and bringing them in to my experience. and i, I really I understand where the 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 anger within the disability community comes from around ableism. Mm. I totally get it. It's valid and real, and I I respect that. I just I I am trying, to, and I operated in that space for a couple years and doing this work, and I found that I was constantly angry at everyone right. all the time. And so I made a shift this past December to try to meet people where they're at and try to talk to people about. Disability. No matter where they are, no matter if they make ableist statements, no matter if they say ableist things, no matter if they um, if they are ableist 100%. I'm gonna try to give them tips and tricks to confront their own ableism, to dismantle their own ableism, and um, and to talk about it so that it's something that we can not necessarily eradicate cuz i think we all have the, we all have the capacity to be ableist but it's something we need to we need to recognize and talk about so my framework for what i do has been has been let's not shame anybody for um, for not knowing or for saying ableist things or for like calling someone out it, it can be really fun sometimes and really like yeah i called them out look at me but i don't think yeah. it moves things forward very well so I'm really trying to use my platform to teach people about disability regardless of where they're at.
0: Does it get exhausting because I think a lot of the a lot of the work that some, you know, I think people have talked about how exhausting teaching can be from like marginalized communities, right? When there are so many ways that people can teach themselves. Yeah. Um, is there is there ever a moment where you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not going down the teaching road. I'm gonna send someone a resource, or I'm gonna send someone to read this thing, or you know, to look at that thing, or to listen to my podcast. Is there ever kind of a line that you're like, I'm not crossing it. All the time. Like
1: I get mm. DMs all the time from people who want to be like, hey, how do we do this? How, what about this? Can I? Can you tell me this? And oftentimes, I just, I sometimes I just won't respond, but I try to. Remember that this is an opportunity for me. It's not a, it's not a responsibility. It's an opportunity right. for me. So I don't have to, and I can walk away, pun intended, because <laughs> I can't walk. but I can <laughs> I can remove myself whenever I choose to. but i I have you know, a platform where I can use my voice to create change. So rather than calling someone out rather than calling someone enabled rather than doing like like these are terms that I've seen really presently within the disability community and I get where they come from but I just think they create more divide than they do togetherness and what if what we're after is a harmonious world where we're all accepted if we on the in the disability community start dividing who's abled and who's disabled it 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 just gets icky if that makes sense
0: It does. No, I I totally get that. And I think your distinction between opportunity and responsibility is a really good framework for activism, right? It's like, this is my opportunity to teach. This is my opportunity to provide clarity. This is my opportunity to correct ignorance. But it is not my responsibility to do that every single time, over and Mm. over again, without, for example, compensation or or a sense of... Or or some sort of
1: recognition that I did it for you, of course.
0: Exactly, Yeah. 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 yeah,
1: and I mean, I do this a lot with the talks that I give. I, I have been approached by so many places that have said, can you come and speak for us? P.S., we can pay you, we can pay you nothing. And, <laughs> you know, initially I'd be like, fuck you, pay me. But yeah. I'm, st- I'm starting to think like, okay, look, a lot of these places are just struggling to make ends meet. They want to create awareness. They have no money. So I've made a rule. I pick five organizations a year that I think are really worthy of my time. And I like li- if I like what they're doing, I will read, I will, if they reach out to me or, or, you know, if I get an email from one of those really cool places, I will say like, you know what? I like what you're doing. Um, if you can't pay, you're one of the five that I'll work with because I understand that it isn't always about the money. It's about community building and yeah, the money helps to like feed me and all those things. And that's important. But I I do have the privilege of being on social assistance, so that sounds weird. It's not always a privilege, but it is a privilege in that I get in that I get it every month. So it's available to me. So if I can give back to my community by not always taking, you know, resources when I don't need it, that's what I'm going to try to. That's what I'm trying to do.
0: Yeah. Um and of course besides the talks and besides the kind of work that you're doing as a consultant you know one of the methodologies that you use is of course the podcast so how did that come about um what intrigued you about podcasting um yeah why that approach
1: i started writing for outlet when i when i was when i was doing that doing that like call out to the magazines being like hey have you ever worked with a queer, disabled person before, and they said no. I was submitting stuff to HuffPost to write, and so I did that for a couple years for free before they paid just to get my name out there and to start writing stuff and to start writing how I felt about things. And then I realized that typing got really hard for me physically. Typing for a long time got really painful in my joints, and I was like, well, this is hard. And podcasting was just starting to kind of blow up, and I looked in the podcast medium world and i realized there was nothing about disability there was like one or two shows maybe that would do one or two episodes a year on disability but nothing consistently about the disabled experience and i was like well that's that doesn't make any sense like i can do that and so i i had no equipment like i do now i had nothing professional at all and i had no voice in this space i literally grabbed my my apple mac headphones and said okay i'm gonna do this let me do an episode and if you listen back to the first episode of my podcast it's abysmal it's pretty bad (laughs) it's me going um uh uh hi i'm andrew uh for like 20 minutes (laughs) not knowing how to do it and not knowing how to craft a show but i just i i knew that i could take the articles that i had written and turn them into a 30 or 40 minute voice thing a voice clip and then make that a show and i had no idea what i was doing and there was no other show that was that I could model mine after, so I just was like, "All right, I'll try."
0: And it's been incredibly successful. Um, uh, like you know, I said in the intro, uh, you've had lots of followers. You've been doing this for years and years. I'm wondering if there's um, uh, if there are any kind of really interesting facts or really interesting outcomes you've um, you can tell us about from doing the show.
1: Just interacting with other people and people coming into my private messages and saying you know what I listen to your show and it made me feel not so alone. I am recording right now right now it's you know we're in the middle of COVID and I'm recording a bunch of episodes specifically with disabled thought leaders around their experiences of disability in a pandemic and the response I've gotten from the community has been not huge but overwhelming in that people will come to me and say, your show makes me feel like we can get through this pandemic together. These episodes make me feel not so alone. Um, You know, thank you for that. Or people saying, I've listened to your show and I learned something. Or I listened to your show and it turned me on and it made me realize that disabled people can be, I can be attracted to them and that's okay. And like, just giving people a chance to listen (laughs) to, to my silly show, which I record from my bedroom. I have no... Studio. I have no producer. I have nobody. I have no sound person. It's literally me and my computer being like, "Here's here I am." So the fact that like outlets in Canada, like CBC, have interviewed me about it, like I was in LA before COVID doing an award show where the podcast was awarded as one of the best LGBTQ podcasts of 2020. Like it just it floors wow. me that th- that this little thing that i really truly didn't think would go past 10 episodes because i was like nobody will listen to me i'm silly whatever but the (laughs) fact that it it has gone so far and wide and again it's not it's not hit the mark of like a huge podcast but that's not why i do it i do it because i know that the disabled community needs this right now and, and they've always needed this and if i can use my voice to do that why wouldn't i
0: yeah, and I think in addition to the to the disability community needing it, um, like you've mentioned, you've had non-disabled people listen, you've had people in other communities listen who have also learned from the, uh, your podcast, learned from the people you've spoken to, the insights that you've, uh, you know, you've given, and I think in some ways that's... Uh, this is essentially another pedagogical tool, right? This is just another tool for learning and teaching and communicating. And um, and I think you've done a really, like, kind of successful job of uh, reframing disability and sexuality in ways for people. Thank um, you. So thank you for your contribution, yeah. So I want to jump into segment two, what I call the middle or the liminal space. Um, uh, This is when I get to talk about your academic crush, but since we're not in the world of academia, I wondered if you had like a work crush or a mentorship crush, someone who you just can't stop either reading or watching or consuming in some way and that you kind of recommend all the time.
1: I'm trying to think of who I recommend all the... Just, you know, people like... And it's so funny, I I was... Editing a podcast that I did with her recently. People like Emily Emily Ladaw is a disability activist out of New York. Um, she is somebody that I really admire. People like Carson Tuller, who is out of the states and and does stuff with um ha- and has done so with Andrew Yang's recent presidential campaign. Just I really admire people with disabilities doing stuff um, and. I can't think of anybody academically that does disability stuff that I'm really like into because I find that when we write disability things in the academic space and I've done it and I did it. So I know how dry it can be. It can be so, it can be so fucking dry. Um, It's so dry and I've done it. I've written papers. My master's thesis was all about disability in the law. And oh my God, I was bored with myself. So that's why you asked earlier, kind of the origins of why I do what I do. That's why the minute I was done my MA, I was like, I want to do something creative. I want to take this knowledge that I have gleaned over the last—it took me like a fra- ten years of school, a BA and an MA—and um, I want to turn it into something pop culture related. I like—I'm—I'm I'm a fame whore. I like attention. I like cameras i like you know i like i like that kind of stuff so i wanted to take what i learned and make it fun and make it accessible and make it like make it something people could have access to where when we look at disability studies unfortunately even people in it don't have access to what a lot of the articles and a lot of the stuff because it's so heavy yeah
0: yeah And, of course, I'm, you know, I'm part of the problem in some ways because I am, you know, trying to secure a position in academia. But I think what a lot of us have learned, and I'm someone who is learning that as well, is that, like, if you want people to connect with your work, you're going to have to talk to them using, like, plain language. Like, all the access things that we know, right? Yeah. You're going to have to talk to people through creative adventures. You're going to have to talk to people when they're on the subway, you know, listening to your podcast as they go to work. Like, that's...
1: Maybe not so much right now, but...
0: <laughs> yeah, not so much right now, of course, yeah. It's it's a really important way, and I think more and more academia is coming to understand that, like, dissemination, how we get our work out there, needs to be accessible. It needs to be framed in ways that people can connect with more easily. And
1: it needs to be bite-sized. Like, like I don't want to spend three hours reading your dissertation thesis like i'm happy that you did it and good for you but like i don't want to read that i barely wanted to do mine when i did it so like you know it needs to be 20 30 minutes in a podcast 40 minutes in a podcast or like a quick think piece that can get people like understanding what the issues are versus like let's break down every theory because the trouble i have with disability studies to go off on a bit of a tangent on you the trouble i have with disability studies is it doesn't often translate to what's really happening in the disability in the real world? It's all very pretty and very theoretical.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean, I think I think that let's say a criticism of lots of academic spaces, right, is that does it reflect really what's happening in the real world? And I think, I mean, I think I think it's a legitimate criticism, of course. Uh, I always think it's important that we have people who are thinking, right? Of course, really, of course. really, really deeply. Like I. You know, I like the people who've been sitting there and thinking about one idea for 20 years. I like that concept. I like that idea because I think they do have something to teach and to contribute. In the same same sense, I, I understand what you're saying, that that's great and all, but if we need things that are right now, right, that are reflecting our current world, the ones that, you know, can help people in the immediate, sometimes academics are not there for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's where I struggle and that's why everybody said oh andrew do disability studies is like oh nope sorry like i have lived experience i'm (laughs) just gonna rely on that and hope that that gets me through
0: yeah so um i want to know what advice you have for young people whether it's young students or young um disabled people um whether it's them trying to get out and you know find a date or whether it's to find a job is there some kind of nugget that you can share with them
1: I'll distill it down really quick for you. <laughs> it would be to be as disabled as you need to be in the moment. Okay. And what I mean by that is like, don't hide it. Don't pretend it isn't there. Don't like minimize it. Cause we do it all the time because of internalized ableism. I'm 36 in three weeks and I still do it all the time with all the stuff that I know about disability, the disability politic. I still minimize my disability in certain spaces. So I would say, be as disabled as you need to be in the moment really truly because that it's okay and whatever you're dealing with whether it's a job a date a hookup whatever it is like your disability isn't going to go away so you better start making friends with it
0: i think that's wonderful advice a really good nugget of information to pass along so thank you uh, on to segment three. I call this outside the research, the project, the work, the art. Um, I want to know who is the most famous person you've met and how did that experience uh, come about? Uh,
1: I have a few. Yes, um, sure, um, I knew you would. <laughs> I'll name my few because I guess I'm popular. Um, I guess so. I don't know. So, Professionally, the people that I've worked with—I've worked with people like Davey Wavy, who's a YouTuber. I've been asked to be on Dan Savage's podcast, who's like one of the top gay sex podcasters in the world. I have bumped into Dan Levy at Pride. Um, I ran into Ben Mulrooney when I was on MTV's One uh, One Girl Five Gays. Like I, I've I've met my fair share of, of famous humans um just doing what I do and it's never been like they've I've never just met them because like I was doing a thing and I was just bumped into them because I was doing whatever I was doing and they were doing what they were doing and then there it is my favorite celebrity encounter that really that made me made my heart go pitter patter was <laughs> this is going to be really funny I uh i I used to watch Gilmore girls a lot when I was in university of and course and I had a crush on Rory Gilmore's dad and one day I was at this event to see my friend M. Griner, who's a, who's a well-known Canadian musician, play a show. And Rory Gilmore's dad walked into the bar and I literally was like, oh God. And he saw me like seeing him and he walked over and he goes, do you know who I am? And I was like, yeah, you're Rory Gilmore's dad. And he goes, he goes yes, I am. And I was like, oh, I just wanted to say I love your work, man. Because I was trying to be all cool and like masculine. Because I didn't want to be like, oh my God, I have a giant crush on you. So I was trying to be all cool about it. And he was like, okay, just want to say hi. And he like walked away. And I was like, okay, I I can, I'm happy now.
0: I love that story. And I'm so glad that uh, you've outed yourself as a a Gilmore Girls fan. Because I think. Such a fan. Such a fan. Anything
1: Anything that Lauren Graham does, I'm like, I'll watch that. Sure, sure.
0: I'm there for it. Honestly, yeah. anything that Lauren Graham's done is just yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. I, I'm not a huge fan of the, the second, like the, you know, those four other episodes they did on Netflix. There's like some weird fat phobia yeah, yeah. There in the, in like the second or third episode, but uh, I still watched all of it because I love them so much.
1: I mean, she is just, the way that she, and she's such a dork in real life. When, when you see her in interviews, you're like, how do you, how do you do that? Who are you? <laughs> and also why can't we be best friends like i just want (laughs) to i just like her a lot
0: okay i love that i love these stories um what is an obscure fact that you carry around with you the one that you interject in when there's like a lull in the conversation
1: um i'm an american oh really yeah
0: i didn't know that
1: i was born in laguna beach california
0: oh wow
1: Um, and so I was born three months premature, and so my mom was going down there for the 1984 Olympics, and I decided, guess what, I'm coming out now! And that's something that I interject when, you know, especially right now with, we're talking about U.S. politics, I interjected a lot because I would be like, if I lived down there, I'd vote for this person, or I would vote for this person. I would not vote for any of the, for either the Democratic nominee right now, or the republican nominee they're both trash but (laughs) but that's
0: okay i know they have such a hard decision ahead of them now because biden is the democratic nominee Mm -hmm. and like it's yeah i mean both of the both of the candidates i mean there's no equivalence between you know biden and trump but biden is biden is trash of course yeah
1: biden has his own huge problems with, with stuff
0: uh, yeah it's 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 really unfortunate but uh, so i want to know so this, so you were born 3 months or sorry, sorry 3 months early or 3 weeks early 3, three weeks month, early. 3 months early months 3 months early okay yeah. and so um your parents are canadian then or your mom is canadian and she uh, then she, brought you back over
1: yeah she went there on vacation and was and then had to stay with me in, in la for 3 months while i you know was in the hospital growing and then she was like, "Okay, I'm gonna bring Andrew over." And I just I was raised Canadian, so I was raised with the snow. I was raised with all the thing, all <laughs> the trappings of being a true Canadian. I've been raised with, but I like to I like to throw people off and be like, "I'm American," <laughs> like yeah,
0: yeah, and like specifically from Laguna, which is like so in particular gets an image of like, you know, um, uh, what is it like sun kissed palm trees you know, and. Like, Exactly. Yeah.
1: And like yeah. for me, you know, when I, when we used to, when the OC, that show used to be popular,
0: I would always joke and be like,
1: I'm from there. That's where I was born. It's <laughs> supposed to be about me.
0: <laughs> That's great. So, do you have a hobby? Is there um, something that you do that isn't work centered, uh, that takes up, uh, you know, some of your leisure time? And how did you get started?
1: A hobby. Is listening to true crime podcasts a hobby? Because, sure i like that i I like that i like true crime stuff a lot i don't know why i'm really into it i like like i can sit and watch a dateline marathon for the whole day like no problem
0: is there a particular kind of true crime because there's a lot of them out there now was there one that's really like piqued your interest
1: there's one that i that i was actually that i guessed it on i guessed it on their show a few months almost yeah a year ago now um it's called Wine and Crime, and it's these three friends out of Minnesota who just make a show about crime, and they get drunk while they do it, and it's really funny. And they're friends of mine now, and so like we just we we did a show, and they came on my show and asked me questions about disability, and it was a really cool thing. And we we did a whole I did a whole show on their show about ableist crimes, and it was really that was cool. It was that was really cool.
0: Um, that sounds cool. I should go listen to that. That
1: sounds awesome. I can't remember what episode it was, but it was so, we had so much fun and people, they're a huge podcast, they're like, they're like touring and doing all the stuff that I like would dream to do, i.e. if if anyone's listening in academia and wants to help me like start a tour, let me know. Um, (laughs) But you know, they tour and they do all this stuff and so when they said yes to having me on their show, because I was just a listener, I was a fan, and I just emailed them one day and I said, oh my god, I love what you're doing, can we chat some more? So we started talking. And then I said, you know, I also have a show, could I maybe be on yours and I could do ableist crimes for you and you could talk to me about sex and disability on mine. And so we kind of came to this agreement and we we all, all four of us did it together and it was just really fun. And it was just nice to like, to be able to talk about true crime, which is something I'm weirdly fascinated with, with people who like do it for a living.
0: Right, and then still bring, like, disability and all the things that you love about that with it as well, right? Yeah,
1: just, exactly, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, is there something that you're reading right now, like a really good book that you could recommend?
1: Uh, it's something I'm reading. You know, as I get older, my attention span is less and less, so reading <laughs> is, I th- I used to love to read as a kid, and I've, I haven't I been able to pick it up as an adult. It's weird, but, but I think the last thing I read... I've been I've been listening to audiobooks. Um and an audiobook that I have been listening to is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe.
0: Okay, you're going Narnia. One
1: of my I'm also a big fantasy nerd. I I love like I love like things like Stranger Things and things like Narnia and things like, you know, Anything magic? I'm like, sure, yep, great. Like Harry Potter is my jam, um, but Narnia was something that I loved as a kid. Until as an adult, someone told me that it was a religious allegory for God, and I was like, well, that's you ruin it now. It's, I, don't, I can't. But as a child, not knowing that, it was my favorite story.
0: That's great. I mean, I haven't. I've never picked up Narnia. Of course, I've seen the movies um, because I feel like it was part of growing up uh, in the '80s.
1: Really? You've never picked up Narnia? I highly recommend.
0: Yeah, I should. I should pick it up, yeah. Okay, and the final question, the question that we're all here to kind of answer, uh, is how do you think disability can save the world?
1: (laughs) That's so loaded. Such a loaded question. How do I think disability can save the world if we start listening to disabled people? Really listen to them. And let them lead and let them create and let them be a part of the conversation and not an afterthought. Let them be the first part of the conversation. Put disabled people first. That's how disability can save the world. Look at what's happening right now with COVID. If we had a disabled leader right now, do you think that any disabled people will be worried about dying? Probably not. Yeah. Nobody would be worried about dying because disabled people know how to stockpile and know how to plan and know how to do all these things that I feel all of our governments are failing on quite disastrously quite if I'm honest so we need to put disabled people in leadership roles everywhere
0: that's wonderful thanks so much Andrew for coming on the podcast I really appreciate it
1: thanks for having me uh people want to follow me, they can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at It's Andrew That's I-T-S-A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, You can download my pod every... Well, it's expanding. You can download my pod because there will be a bunch more coming. Disability After Dark, wherever you podcast. Um, You can book me for digital talks at andrewgerza.com. And um, yeah, that's me.
0: That's great. And all of that information will also be in the notes below. Thank you again, Andrew. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. Thanks again to Andrew for coming on the show. It was great to have another podcaster. Over the next few weeks, we'll be joined again by other disability and mad studies scholars, activists, and artists. So stay tuned. I'll also remind folks that this podcast is now accessible to deaf and hard of hearing folks through the website fadyshinouda.com. There are both videos available, but also transcribed copies of the interviews. Get in touch by sending me an email at world at gmail.com. This podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Fady Shinuda. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Disability Saves the World.